This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gooners Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show in which I'm joined by a few guests to talk about the week's events and straight after Arsenal have drawn 3-3 somehow against West Ham. Yeah, we don't like to do things the easy way. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot more leaning into the interlull and where this might leave us for the rest of the season. I promised you good guests, and I've got three fantastic ones. Let's introduce the first of all, making her second appearance on the show. It's Jess. How you doing, mate? You well? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for having me. I don't have much to complain about. Yesterday's game was insane, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. So thank you <laughs> for having <laughs> no me. No problem at all. No problem at all. Uh, we're also joined by Adam. Always a pleasure, my friend. Hello, hello, hello. Back again. Ready to talk about Arsenal. Doing things the hard way as usual. <laughs> always, mate. Always, always. And making his TGT debut this week. He's been all over Twitter today boasting to his friends that he's coming on the show. And I don't blame him. It's Kesh. I do, mate. Are you well? You're muted. You're muted, Kesh. Come on, son. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to come on. Finally. Absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Absolute pleasure, man. I've obviously I've, I've known you from being on with uh, with Adam when he invites us over to uh, TFT. It's an absolute pleasure to to chat to you. And I thought it'd be a good idea to grab you on here for a show. Um, Jess, we'll start with you because I want to give you the tough job of going first, basically, and talk about what was a horrific experience for thirty minutes, um, which turned into something that was quite exciting towards the end and gave us that hope that maybe we'd turn things around. We couldn't quite get all the way around. But how and what were your raw reactions straight after the game? What the hell did I just watch is literally my reaction. I had no, it's like, I still was thinking about it hours after the game. Like, what was that? What did I just experience? Like, it was so insane. But ultimately, I just think that the team didn't start out well. Um, 
I don't know if, if the game plan was, or maybe they anticipated West Ham sitting in and, you know, them coming out kind of like aggressively took us by surprise or what it was, or just mental and physical, you know, hangover from Europe. But the way we played in those first 30 minutes was unacceptable under any circumstances. The, the first goal, you maybe could give them a pass, but the second and third goal to me were just like, wow. But the football that we played from like the 30th minute on is the best football I've seen under Arteta so far. So it's really hard to judge it because in one you know respect, you're kind of like, well, we played so bad, those same kind of like slow starts and, you know, lack of mentality is still there, but the football looks so much better after that. So when I rewatched it, obviously I could watch it with a clear mind and I just thought, wow, like we are getting somewhere, but the mentality aspect is still questionable. And I just think it's more about them maybe being tired, you know, and not focused rather Mm. than Arteta's tactics or whatever. I don't really blame Arteta for that. Interesting to talk about kind of like tiredness because we only had a few days to obviously prepare for the game, whereas West Ham had the week. It sounds like I'm making excuses. I don't think there are too many excuses which you can come up with to to kind of explain how we did play within the 30, first 30 minutes. Kesh, I mean, when, when we hit the 30-minute mark and you're sitting there at 3-0 down, and I know that you, like me, and we have obviously tried to come up with reasons as to why maybe we are where we are this season – so where where was your head at? What were you expecting? How badly was your WhatsApps blowing up at three 0 down? I'll tell you what, it wasn't a good day. My mate, the West Ham fan, so I was just there. I was just thinking, oh my god, what are you guys doing to me? Honestly, then the thirty minute mark came and they started turning it on, and I'm thinking, for goodness' sake, like if we had started like that, we would have blown them out of the water. Like, I fair enough, they're fifth or whatever, but. They're not this great of a team that we're making them out to be. We've mm. got the quality to go and put them away. It's a pity that we have to go 3 0 down to actually turn it on. But what I saw after that 30 minute mark, I thought, this is good football. This is something I can look forward to. But we tend to get these games. I remember when it happened against Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago, you know, where you come into an early kickoff or whatever and the team just seems like they're still in bed. And for me, that comes down to a mentality thing, even though at the same time, I do believe it was a bit of a hangover from the, the Europa League game. But then again, I can't use it as a excuse because these are professional footballers. These are, most of them have played in European football for quite a long time. They've played for the international team. They should know what to expect. And we should be expect older than to high standards. But I could, it's still a bit of a thing where I couldn't get overexcited, I have to stay grounded because that was embarrassing mm. in all fairness. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with you about the start. And I remember saying it with you yesterday that it is just, it was unacceptable. Like I, the, the staunchest of, of kind of people that want to really back the coach and, and want him to succeed and stay as I'd class myself as one of those people, even I was sitting there at three and I'm going, this, this isn't right. Like this is not okay. Um, and and even with all the will in the world to admit that West Ham played well in those first 30 minutes, we weren't good enough defensively. And it was interesting to see kind of, in fact, Adam, I'll ask you on this. Lacazette came out after the game and said that the players didn't respect the game plan of the coach, which you can look at that kind of two ways, I suppose, because either you can say that, you know, fair play Lacazette for saying that. And maybe we have to say, oh, it wasn't an Arteta for doing that. But 
also you have to turn around and say that well it's kind of Arteta's job to set them out there with no excuses and you go into that game and you've got to deliver what he's expecting of you so where does that kind of first 30 minutes fall for you I suppose you there Adam <laughs> can you hear us yeah I'm here hi sorry yeah I think the connection just kind of went um yeah I, I think the game was the game was tough for me. Uh, but I think Arsenal can take solace in the fact that they are clearly the most entertaining team in the league. Um, you know, <laughs> we've come out, we've 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 gone three, three or we've, they've, sorry, we've conceded two goals in a short space of time, three nil down in however long. And it, I think there's, there's clearly room for improvement, but I think there's a reason for us to as, as sad as it is to say, be happy as well. Um, because I think, I look at Odegaard's performance, he was good. Um, mm. I saw a lot of people comparing him to Ozil and saying that he does the dirty work that Ozil was never able to do. Um, and, and I think Lacazette's performance as well was was good. But I guess to the point about them not respecting Arteta's plan, um, for me, I think it's not something... Oh, Adam, we can't hear you. I don't know if you're covering your mic, mate. Uh... Can, you, can you hear me now? Yes, keep going. Go on. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think that's something that sort of uh, specific to Arteta. I think that's something that football managers and teams suffer from. Uh, how do you get your players to, to do what you want them to do as soon as they cross that white line? Um, and unless your, I guess, methods and tactics are dr drilled into them for years, then they're not going to know what to do as second nature and I think that's why you look at teams like Klopp or Liverpool sorry managed by Klopp Man City managed by Pep Guardiola they have very clear ideas um, and if you're a player for Manchester City you know exactly what Pep wants you to do not just from what he's told you at that club but from what he's had you've seen him do at Bayern Munich from what you've seen him do at um, Barcelona as well so I think mm. given more time the players will know exactly what Arteta wants them to do um, but yeah, I think in the in the interim, us Arsenal fans are just gonna have to put up with with performances like that, which is frustrating because it's literally the, I guess, uh, embodiment or personification of the good and the bad of Arsenal. We can be so 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 bad, but we can also be very good. Um, so I guess it depends on whether you want to look at it as glass half full or glass half empty. Yeah, I understand your theory, man. You look at the first 30 minutes and you go, that for me, that was like an anomaly, basically. And I looked at that game and I was thinking, I've got to sit here now for another 60 minutes and effectively try to, in a way, defend this team because I know that this is anomalous. I know this is not what we've seen over the last, or ever since Boxing Day, but it was really difficult to, to obviously not sit there and be like, this is utterly crap. <laughs> Just be like, let's sack him now. Because a lot of people did feel like that. And unsurprisingly, I have complete sympathy for that feeling and thinking, we can't be sitting here 3-0 down. I mean, Hugh was screaming in my ear going, we're 3-0 down to West Ham. Now, I think there's a lot to kind of break down more than the fact that West Ham have had a good season and we were very poor over those 30 minutes. But at the same time, we need to be taking things game by game. And West Ham, whatever or not you think of them, and I have a lot of time for West Ham and a lot of kind of appreciation for the recruitment that they've done, the players they brought in and how David Moyes has turned them into a team that are challenging for a European place, that Arsenal need to be as good and better than that West Ham side based upon the resources that they, they do have. Um, 
Jess, obviously going beyond that and, and kind of into where we started to turn things around, one of the key players for us that was on it, weirdly, and I didn't expect to see this much kind of attacking verve from him in the game, but Callum Chambers on the right-hand side came in. I was expecting Cedric to start the game because, of course, he, he did quite well and has done quite well when Bellerin has really kind of dropped in his kind of form. But Chambers has come in and... A, a right back that I kind of associate more so with a defensive-minded fullback that's got more discipline, that's better in the air, better aerially, and, and, and can defend much better, actually gave us a lot going forwards. Did he kind of is that a performance? And has there been performances like the Burnley game where maybe he's convincing you and others that he has got a place in this Arsenal team going forwards? Well, I mean, I've always liked Callum Chambers. Um, I've never saw like the what other people saw that he wasn't good enough. I, I've always thought that he was a good player to have around because he can play in multiple positions and he does it quite well. But um, in regards to this game, I mean, I'm not shocked that he was able to, to be so influential in the final third because he's done it before. Um, I think he keeps things simple. And I think that's almost why him and Cedric seem to be more, um, I guess, eye test wise, more, I guess, compatible for, for Arsenal fans. You know, they keep it really simple in the final third. It's more about just getting into the overlap and, and crossing the ball back for cutbacks and things like that. So I think it works for what we're trying to do. Um, so I'm not really shocked he actually did that in like a European match, like even last season where he had like three assists in one game. And mm. everybody was like, where did this Callan Chambers come from? He's had that. But when you keep it simple – it's easy. It's it's just easier. Whereas when Bellerin plays in that position, he's asked to do something completely different. That's really difficult for him. You know, he does it well on in, in some respects, but he falls short in others. So, you know, um, in regards to Calum Chambers, I think if we were in um, a better position financially, it wouldn't be such a big deal if we kept him. But I think if somebody offered me 10 to 15 million for him, I'd take it because we need money, you know, to buy somebody like Odegaard or, somebody else, you know, in another position. So as good as he was, I don't think it's enough to keep him long-term, but mm. I'm not shocked that he can make that type of performance. And I wish we were in a better position so we wouldn't have to sell somebody like him because I think he has value. It's interesting you talk about selling because uh, a gal friend of the show uh, in the chat book saying Chambers' performance is a long-term sign that we are trying to put players in, in the shot window. Kesh, I mean, what do you think of that? Is it as simple as saying that Arteta's playing players in the season because he wants to get their value up or he wants to see whether or not he wants to keep certain players? Because with Lacazette, we've seen there's a guy there that has got a year left on his contract after this season finishes. A lot of people have kind of written that kind of situation off and thinking he's a, a sellable asset this summer and we should, instead of looking to renew him, look to move him on. We've had offers in the past from Atletico and from Roma last summer. And he's someone that does interest a number of squads and the, the money could be used elsewhere, but has clearly outshone Lacazette, uh, sorry, Aubameyang over the last kind of couple of weeks or so, two, three weeks. So it's a difficult one. But what do you make of the, the idea of Arteta maybe using these final weeks of the league season anyway to, to think about the transfer window coming up? I think there is some truth in that. Um, personally, you've got to give a player a chance. He's not played on them before. Um, the two games he came in, he rep represented himself very well. For me, I don't think you can move move on in, in the future or keep in the both the likes of Olden or Chambers. I think it's got to be one. Um, he's given Ch um, Olden a new contract, so he's clearly here for the long term. 
with Chambers now, we know that we're probably not going to have a big um, transfer budget in the summer. So you've got to come to a conclusion and say, you know, you're going to move him on because we're not this team where you can just have the luxury of players just sitting out and just playing specific games per se. We need a strong start in 11. And if you can raise money from selling him, then I'm all for it. It's going to be a really weird summer, I think, because I think there might be a few surprises in regards to who does stay and who does go. Um, and there's some big decisions that need to be made. I, te- I think even came out saying that the, the planning's done, that they're kind of looking at that summer and they're prepared for it and they know what they want to do, whether or not that means that players can change their minds in the last few months of the season. I'd hope that that's the case. I hope that they're open to that changing. I think that there are some players that could kind of solidify or maybe question Arteta and make him think twice about a couple of those. But mm-hmm. to know that we're prepared is, is a good thing, I think, and certainly something that might put fans at ease knowing that there is business that's going to get done this summer and maybe continue a trend of what we saw in January regarding moving players out of the club. Adam, you join us now from your laptop. I'm hoping that you can hear us fluently and clearly. Um, the, the first goal that we scored just before half time that was really key for Arsenal ultimately. Like We needed to get that goal back and we could have even gone in at the break 3-2 if Saka had taken his chance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got a bit of fortune because Lacazette shot obviously deflected off Suchek. It was another one where he swipes at, similar to the penalty that he won against Spurs. Doesn't get the right connection, but ends up fortuitously giving us a goal similar to the Spurs game in itself with the penalty. Scoring before half-time, do you think that... If we'd have hadn't, say, got that goal before half time, could you have seen us really us getting back into the game in the second half at 3 0 down? No, not not 3 0 down. I think it would have been too much of a, an insurmountable task in well, mentally. Uh, mm. I think getting that one goal uh, does something, I guess, psychologically. It makes you think, okay, cool. The deficit isn't as big as it could be. Second half, we can go out, we can score two goals. That's not too bad. And that's exactly what, what happened. Um, so I think, yeah, 3-0, unless you're trying to channel your inner Liverpool in Istanbul uh, or Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, um, then I don't, I, don't, I don't see it happening at all. Um, so, yeah, I think the mentality was, was really important there. I think the one goal in the, the first half was really important. And just quickly on the Callum Chambers point, if he can play like that, keep that boy. I don't want to sell him um, because he has one valuable asset uh, that I don't think Bellerin has, and that is that he puts in very good crosses. Uh, mm. And I, I don't really see Bellerin have the quality on his crosses that Chambers does. And he also gives us a different, uh, I guess, set of characteristics defending-wise as well because you play him against those bigger uh, more physical opponents, and you can't do that with Bellerin or Cedric. So, yeah, that's just that final point on that, sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, it was a really... I think it's ultimately... You look at the players that are on the pitch and it was going to kind of give us that go. Aubameyang looked completely different. We'll, we'll talk about Aubameyang, I think, a little bit more in a bit, um, and I th- especially towards the end of the game when he comes off and the change that we make obviously leads immediately into us scoring that third goal. We get the second goal for a, a really good Callum Chambers cross, and we've talked a bit about Chambers already, and, and obviously we get quite fortunate with the own goal again. Um, but this is, I suppose, the, a good time then, Jess, to talk about changes, talk about substitutions, and Aubameyang being one of those. Because I found myself increasingly frustrated that the change wasn't coming sooner, that, that Arteta kind of wasn't identifying that there were players on the pitch that needed to be brought off sooner, Aubameyang being a really key one for me. 
Does the form of Aubameyang worry you? Do you think it's a phase? Do you think it's a reaction still to him being dropped for the North London derby? Do you think it's something that he's going to get over? How are your overriding thoughts surrounding the Gabonese forward at the moment? Well, I think that he, to a certain extent, he has improved his form. You know, uh, I think after the North London derby, you know, we have some maybe short-term, you know, short-termism right now. But before the North London derby, he was playing just fine and was scoring goals. You know, I don't know whether or not the North London derby is still, you know, affecting his his form and, and whatnot. I, I don't know, you know, but um, it just seemed like, in this game, he, I don't want to say he was uninterested because I feel like that's harsh, but he just didn't look into the game the way that we need our captain and, and best striker to, to, to be. And I think with Arteta, we're just seeing that he, um, he trusts players. He trusts players a lot um, based on, you know, probably the past history, past form, whatever it is. I think that's why William got a lot of chances. Aubameyang got a lot of chances. But, you know, they're given the chance to play through bad form. And there's players that are in form that are not getting chances. And that's frustrating. Um, I think it may be Yo-Yo in the chat. You know, they've talked about it plenty of times that players need to be picked based on form. Arteta seems to pick based on trust, you know, who he trusts. And if he doesn't really trust Lacazette and, and Pepe as much as maybe William and Aubameyang, that's just something that he's going to have to learn the hard way if it doesn't work out for him. But mm. Aubameyang is just one of those types of players where he, he comes off like a, like a good time Charlie, you know, type like when we're playing well, he's playing well. And if we're not, then or some one, one thing happens, he's off, but He's our best striker, so I don't anticipate anything changing there. We gave him the big contract, so we're gonna. I think he's gonna play until he's back in form, and this is his first time out of form in his entire career. So I'm not that worried about it per se. Like if we got to the end of the season, it was like, wow, he really only scored like ten goals this season. Then yeah, but mm. I think he's been okay. Maybe the North London derby kind of knocked him off his swivel, but we need him to start scoring goals. So. Hopefully it, it changes. On that point about being out of form, do you mean like the season as, as like it's the first time he's had really an off season in his yeah. career? Because I don't want yeah. people in I don't want people to misunderstand what you mean and think it's just this this pure like run of games, but you mean the, the season as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, I I agree with you. I think that he's having a really off season. I think there's a lot of players that are as well. And I think Arsenal collectively have looked off the first half of the season. And and to be fair, it's probably honest to say most of the season, our senior players have really let us down. The, 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 the experienced guys in the squad, it's been on the young guys, Emil Smith-Rowe coming in, us signing a 22-year-old Erdegaard, 23-year-old Tierney, 22-year-old Gabriel Magalhaes at the back. Martinelli, when he came back from injury and had a media impact there, it's the young guys coming in that we are relying upon. Bakayo Saka, of course, is one of the biggest ones that we've relied upon this season too. And, and that in itself, I suppose, is an issue. And it's something that we need to work on. But the young guys, again, dragged us out of this mess that we got into. Erdogan uh, was so influential throughout the game. We'll come on to him in a bit. But the third goal cash, of course, comes from just basically us piling on the pressure consistently trying to find that equaliser, eventually comes through a substitution of a Bamiang who'd come off. 
Um, and we brought on Nicola Pepe, whose right foot has suddenly found its fortune, it seems, <laughs> with the crosses and the goals this season as well. Really good cross for Lacazette, who gets his second of the game, if you want to call it that, with the own goal for the first one. What did you make of kind of the, the change to bring Pepe on? Do you think it was the right one? And what do you make of maybe the future that he has, if he's going to be that influential in games? Or do you think he is seen maybe by Arteta still as a bit of an impact player, which he was on Sunday? Um, for me, my I'm still very reserved on my judgment on Pepe. Um, you know when he has a good game, you have to applaud him, give credit where credit's due. But little things like those few opportunities that he had, and you just think, just take them, just make me believe that there's something special in you that with Arteta's going to manage to get out of you. But it it just didn't happen. Credit where the credit's due because that was an amazing cross. I've been saying all season. Surely you've got a right foot. You play at this level, you must have a decent right foot on you. And that was a peach of a ball that he put in. Um, the substitutions, I do feel, probably should have came a lot earlier. Um, when Martinelli came on, you saw him stretching the, the defence and it, it kind of like made more space. Because you see how in the last, say, 25 minutes, we had them camped on the edge of the box. We were just camping, trying to probe and make an opening. Odegaard for me, he was just making things happen. He's a player that was just taking responsibility. From the minute go, he was the only one that could say he could hold his head up. And for a player that, say, for instance, what, been here for what, probably about a month and a half now, that's incredible. And that's, that's something that these senior players, these players that are actually owned by the club, need to look at themselves and say, this guy's got standards. Arsenal as a football club has standards. We need to step it up. And that's what that's why we failed yesterday. Our standards are not just not consistent. Yeah, I, I love the point you make about Odegaard being like the guy that's that, that stepped up and he's dropped into that role and he's dragging the team forwards and ironically, a lot of people compared his performance to Mesut Ozil. I think, Adam, you may have even brought that up earlier on about Odegaard and Ozil, which is ironic because I never really felt Ozil was a guy that was a protagonist for us and dragged us forwards. Yes, he was. I thought when Arsenal were great, Ozil was great too and it made everything better. But I never looked at Ozil as really a guy that picked up Arsenal by the scruff of the neck and dragged them forwards. Or I looked at Odegaard in that performance and that's the difference between the two that I saw in that game. But again, it's an example of another youngster 22 that's that's come in for, for a few months is having a big impact but also the positive to look at there he's a player that has been identified by the club to come in and has an impact and you look at kind of that last year Adam I feel like you agree with this point do you honestly, want to go for gold on it well honestly I was just thinking the same thing everyone that uses uh or wants to bash Arteta at any opportunity they can and yet you look at the the player that he signed the player that he said he wants to sort of build the team around, the creative hub, and yet he is the one example you can look at and say he can stand up and be counted. So if out of anything, out of anything, surely you look to that and say, this guy knows what he's doing. And I, for me, I just can't believe that people are still trying to, I don't know, get 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 one over on him and say, oh, he's not the guy that you should be trusting. When you look at Odegaard, that's a Mikel Arteta signing, well, kind of, um, yeah. <laughs> when, when he's not being hamstrung by by finances or anything like that. And you can clearly see that he has technical quality, he has the mental quality, he has the characteristics, and surely then you begin to think, okay, I can align myself with Mikel Arteta's ideals and, and principles right now. And I, I, just, I just don't get it. I just don't get why people are so anti still. 
Mm, yeah, I, I have my reasons. <laughs> I have my reasons as to why I think people are. Um, I'll be I'll be clear about it. I honestly think there is an element of it where, especially Arsenal's a very open and social and out there platform for a lot of supporters. And once you've put your kind of opinion out there, it's very very difficult to then have it proven wrong. Um, and, and it's really hard. And I, I've been wrong about a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, and people need to kind of move on for this. And me and John talk about this on the LTA podcast quite a lot. Where we look at kind of the, the social side of support and, and stuff like that, where it needs to be okay to change your mind, okay to be wrong about things. We're wrong about things all the time. And if you want to be stubborn and say that Erdogan was the wrong signing to make or that Arteta is the wrong guy here, that's okay, fair enough. But back it up with like evidence and explanation. Don't just come out with with points with no evidence to them. I think that Erdogan has been a fantastic sign. I think, Adam, what you were saying there and the point that we were getting on board about it with each other was the idea that they're bringing in now guys that are making an impact. The, the, the last two windows, January, was really successful with the guys that we brought in on no budget at all. We moved on a lot of Deadwood players. And in the summer, we brought in two players, top players in positions that we've been desperately crying out for. I feel like a broken record the amount of times I've said those words. Uh, and I'm sure the chat box are sick of it. Um, but the whole point is, is that we are, that is for me a, a progression point and something when people say that there is, we're not making any progress. Yes, on the surface, the league table doesn't lie in some senses and senses. And the, the obviously football is a, a results business. And I get that. Sometimes things aren't solved in just a year and us being ninth right now is is not going to be necessarily a hugely poor thing maybe in a year's time. If we are still ninth in a year and we've added more, then yeah, there's more scope and evidence to suggest to say this probably isn't working. But now that's where I kind of struggle with mainly. Um, I did open up the chat box to get their thoughts on uh, what me and Cash were chatting about in regarding to Pepe. Archie, Archie sorry, says, I'm not convinced with Pepe. He has moments but lacks finishing when it matters. Janice says, uh, I love Pepe. He is a baller. Daniel Roberts says, Pepe makes good competition for Saka, but I feel he's always going to be behind him in the pecking order. And I, I said this on the show with you yesterday that – my criticism of Pepe is, is always going to be linked to the price tag. because, And that's not his fault. That's not Pepe's fault. But ultimately, football, in the same way that it's a results business in regards to what happens on the pitch, it's a results business in regards to how much you spend on a player and what they give you for that money. And when you've got someone like Saka coming through the youth academy and outshining a £72 million signing, that is going to be used as a judgment. It's You are going to be judged more strictly and I am going to judge players differently based on how much they cost and people might say that's not their fault and they're right it's not their fault how much they cost but it's still the right thing to judge a player based upon how much they're giving to you how much we spent on them and how much ultimately we're paying them too and that will also come into it. that's why Willian's got a lot of stick because we're paying him a hell of a lot of money even though the fact we got him on a completely free transfer um that kind of concludes the, the, the match analysis, I suppose, and we move on to the, the, the second of the three parts of the show where we look at kind of ahead and what this now means for us. Jess, we didn't lose the game, and that was really important um, for kind of the context of our season, the momentum that we had. We obviously lost to Olympiacos despite still going through, and you didn't want to put two losses together so quickly. Um, but it was important going into the international break that we didn't lose the game. We didn't lose the game obviously we didn't manage to win it but how do you think the context of that draw and coming back rather than obviously being say on West Ham side of things where you've got taken a 3-0 lead and lost it how do you think this will push us going into the later stages of this season 
If I'm honest, I don't know. This team is so inconsistent that we could have three games where we win in a row and then have a complete stinker the next. You know, there's not enough consistency to say that if we get two or three games under our belt where we play well, that that ensures that we're going to go in a certain direction in the next game. I think having these types of experiences, like Arteta has said that, you know, having these types of experiences gives you something to fall back on. So when you get into hard you know, games where maybe you go behind or you go down a man or something that you can refer back to that as like, okay, well, we can come back, you know, so maybe that's an aspect of something that they can put, you know, under their belt and be like, okay, well, yeah, we can at least come back. But if I'm honest, I I really don't know what team I'm going to see against Liverpool, you know, because that's pretty much how it's been the entire season. We could batter them or we could have another game like this. That's just kind of how it's been. You know, I do think that we're, we're making progress in, in certain in certain ways that the playing style is so much better. But, you know, the results, I can't predict. I really, really can't. If you would have told me that it was 3-3 at the end of that game and we would have been down 3 nothing in 30 minutes, I, w- I wouldn't have been shocked. <laughs> you know, yeah. it is what it is. That's kind of where we are. I know that's not really conclusive, you know, but... This is the least conclusive season ever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, so, but I'm hoping that they can string something together. The the games coming up are are favorable for us, you know, um, besides Chelsea and and Liverpool past that. We have some games that we can win, we should win, but should win and Arsenal don't necessarily equal winning, Mm. you know, so... I'm not really, I don't really, to be honest, I've let go of the league. I'm not really that you know interested in yeah i'm not invested the europa league is where i'm more you know because i i'm getting to the point where i'm thinking we might be able to win it you know so um that's where my focus is you know at this Mm. point i mean the likelihood of arsenal achieving champions league qualification through the league is is slim to nothing is is the honest truth we put ourselves in that position we've done that to ourselves it's not anyone else's fault we've we've done that in, in the, the performances that we put on, the mistakes that we've made and the, the silly things that have cost us. Yes, I think that we have been unlucky and I don't think we deserve necessarily to be ninth, but I don't think we deserve to be fourth is it, still the, the ultimate assessment of that. Um, and despite that, we're still not miles away, surprisingly, despite all the, the hardships and, and mistakes we've made this season. Um, Yonit Max says that comeback doesn't really affect the rest of our season. If anything, it's a reflection of it. And I weirdly agree with the second part of the point, Kesh, because... I was sitting here with Clive on Tuesday from the Arsenal Vision Pod, and we had to talk about kind of the theories and concepts around how you judge this Arsenal team. And he came up with a really good analogy about the floor of a team and the ceiling of a team. And the Arsenal's floor is incredibly low. Like the, how when we are bad, we are atrociously bad. And we saw that in the first 30 minutes of the game. But what Arteta has kind of achieved is raising Arsenal's ceiling. And we're seeing the potential of a side that can explode like we did in the second half, like we did in the first half against Wolves where we got one goal and we should have scored more and killed the game off early. In lots of games, in the Burnley game in the second half where we lit that that side up with chances and we couldn't take any of them. We've we created chances a lot in this kind of second half past Boxing Day. Sometimes we take them, i.e. against Chelsea and West Brom. And in other games, we just haven't been able to take those chances that we've created. And it's about the biggest job for Arteta is about raising that floor and getting us to a level whereby our really our worst performances are nowhere near as bad as they have been. And my question to you is, I'm sorry, a really quite a tricky one, but how does Arteta raise that floor for you? Because for me, there is a simple thing of saying it's, it's done through recruitment and, and adding better players to the squad. 
But is there anything that Arteta can do with what's currently available to him, do you think, and, and the answer can be no, to, to raise the floor of this team? Um, I think there's a mixture of things you need to do. Um, I was talking about it yesterday to these couple of guys, and I'm saying, I think the biggest thing that's missing from this Arsenal team is winning something big. But I know, remember, if you guys remember when we didn't win nothing for so long, and it took us, we got to finals, we just couldn't do it. We finally got to another final, we go and win it. That's one barrier broken down. I think the next barrier is to go and win something significant, like the Europa League. I think then you'll start to see a different a different kind of Arsenal, or Arsenal team that actually believes that they can go far now. Because what it is, is it's, it, this stems from just years and years of failure. These players are so broken, even against Tottenham, you saw it, we had that, what, 10 minutes to go? And mm. you saw that fear, that fear that guys like, were so close to doing something, like, can we carry it through? And then you started seeing the same old mistake coming through again. So, the, the thing is, you just have to just do something very significant that these players can believe in themselves. They haven't got the belief. And I know people say, yes, the manager needs to bring you that belief, but I don't think it's easy as people um, from the outside make it out to be. Yeah. No, I, I think that it's obviously easy from an outside perspective to say, look, do this, 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 check them off your list and you're done. You're sorted and it's all going to be sunshine and roses. But <laughs> football isn't like that. Um, but I think that some people raise some good points in the chat that... Arteta has not been perfect and I asked the question I said um, what does Arteta need to do different to improve what he has and uh, Texas Gunner said sell 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 spend 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 which is kind of what I wanted to avoid in the sense that we're talking about what he's already got like what can he do with it because you look at Ancelotti yes he's added some good players in like James Rodriguez and and Decore and and Alan and Godfrey which has helped a lot but he, he, he is getting the maximum amount of a lot of those players and has done for a lot of the season. And whilst I think that that kind of has started to falter a little bit, uh, maybe they're being found out a little bit towards the end of the season and they will start to drop off maybe, that he has still, for a lot of the season, got the best out of a lot of those yeah. players. So, Adam, in your view, what do you think Arteta can do beyond just buying and selling to improve what we've already got? Um, yeah, It's pretty much something that we've spoken about on, on a podcast before. I think... Arteta needs to go back to his basics. Although he's been given the title of manager, uh, he came up as a, a coach. You've got Sane, you've got Sterling, who spoke about how well he, he, or how, I guess, influential he was in improving their game and how well he did there. So I think if he's going to get the most out of the players that he's got currently, um, sort of avoiding the money conversation and spending and selling players, it has to be that. Um, he can talk all he wants about um, non-negotiables and principles and all that type of stuff, but mm. ultimately, what happens on the pitch is is going to be what what determines your future, your success, your failure. So, talk getting Pepe to use his right foot, um, getting Pepe to play quick, quick, quickly, uh, fast passes like he did against Tottenham, which led to the the penalty. Um, getting Erdegaard to play much better than he has, Saka to develop into the player that we know he can be, Xhaka to to not make silly mistakes and and get us into trouble like he has done so many times. So I think as long as he can eradicate the mistakes from the game uh, of the players that we know have them, and he can, as you already said, improve the ceiling of the players that that we know have it already. Mm. Um, I reckon I reckon that's all he needs to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
we have obviously lost points in games this season that we typically don't lose points in. And we've lost to, to teams and we've dropped points to teams that are what we would consider below us in the most respectful form possible. We've looked better, ironically, in the games where we have always historically lost points against big six sides. And we've won against teams that we haven't managed to win so consistently against. And the teams that we have lost against, like City twice, and I know that the, the game at home, they barely had to get out of second gear. But when we played them away, we were competitive throughout that match. We didn't look like they were going to blow us away at any point. We did the same with Liverpool and the goal at the end, I think, flattered the scoreline and flattered the performance of both teams. We've gone to Manchester United and won for the first time since 2006 and we've managed to get a nil-nil draw at home that we arguably could have also won that game too. We've beaten Chelsea at home and we're going to be interested to see how we perform against a Thomas Tuchel reinvigorated side at Stamford Bridge a little bit later on in the season. And of course, the Everton game that came at Goodison Park was during our really, really tough run where we looked like we were doing nothing and still managed to come out only just dropping the points 2-1 in that game. And so again, we'll have the chance to redeem ourselves. But it's been the floor being so low and losing and, and dropping points, these lesser teams that have cost us. But I look at that and I go, I think there's potential there because I think that's a much easier job to change. I think to, to get a top side like Arsenal performing again against the lesser teams and to continue the form of what you've achieved against the bigger sides this season shows hope. If it was a case of we were the same old Arsenal in the sense that, as a plug to Craig and the guys, um, but it was a case of being the same old Arsenal and the fact that um, we're, we're losing against the big teams easily. We didn't like we were competing against them. That's a much bigger challenge, I feel, for Arteta to try and do. But actually, he's doing that. And it's now about raising our floor so we're not making those mistakes against the, the lower sides. Um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on some of what the chat box is saying in regards to how they think Arteta can change things. I'm just going to scroll up and try and find where I was asking the question. But I know there was a... Uh, a point that came in about not changing effectively too many players. And Jess Vinny says, Arteta needs to play a consistent back four. Centre-halves need a strong partnership and changing it every game removes that understanding. Do you think too heavy of rotation has cost us this season? Yeah, when you guys were talking, I was kind of writing down my thoughts of, you know, what my answer would be to, to that question and consistent lineups and keeping the chemistry together on the pitch. Like when you see it, keep it you know, and if you see things don't work, don't use it is, is a big reason why I think that we sometimes the floor is so much lower than it really should be. Don't play Pepe and Bellerin together ever. It doesn't work. It always just, it just doesn't work for whatever reason, the underlapping of Bellerin, the fact that Pepe wants to be central, the fact that they just don't have chemistry is something that just don't do it. You know, um, you know, even with like holding and Marie play together, David Louise and Gabrielle play together. The other partnerships in there aren't as good. Don't use them. Consistent lineups will help. And then like for like replacements in those positions that fit within the system makes sense to me. And I just don't think maybe that comes with recruitment, getting like for like, you know, replacements comes with recruitment, but in terms of like making sure that there's always, you know, inverted wingers, you know, the, the left and right backs are, are always like Tierney with the left foot, the right footed, you know, right back, you know, make sure you have that kind of consistency will make a difference, you know, and you have somebody like Aubameyang who's been playing center forward for the last couple of weeks. Now you put him out on the left or on the right. I'm not, I'm not shocked that he didn't do well there, you know, so consistency with this team, I think is, is important. It's difficult because we're in a position where we're trying to rotate and, and things like that. But ultimately same the same type of profile and in, in the system will i think will work you know and just try to keep the chemistry together um 
Yeah, no, I think I think you're right in terms of chemistry and the, the little kind of tweaks that need to be made within lineups. Like you look at Manchester City, yes, they have scope to make so many changes, but it's not heavy rotation from Pep Guardiola. He's got the capacity to change two of those players pretty much every single week and refresh that team. When he plays in the cup competitions, he can make more changes. But from league to league game, he can make one or two tweaks from their main starting lineup, which basically barely affects the overall quality of the team because of the amount of quality they've got. We don't have that luxury, but we should still be able to, with the players that I think we've got, especially in defence now as well, because I think actually the defence, I mean, you look at left centre-back, Marie and Gabriel are, are pretty much, with the performance they've both put on, have looked very good this season, holding at a very, what I thought was consistent start to the season. And Louise in this second half of the season has come arguably playing the best football I've ever seen him play at Arsenal in the second half of the season, bar the mistake against Wolves. So it's I think we've got a lot and holding underneath him, obviously, too. And we've got players coming back from loan in Saliba and Mavropanos next season, which also excite me. And then the right-back situation, I think, has been our biggest kind of issue so far with Bellerin really being very poor and Tierney. In itself, the left-back is an issue because when Tierney was out, we had to play Cedric there. And, and that maybe is something that we did fail to do in January was address bringing in a natural left back. And maybe if we'd have done that, we would have got some better results because Cedric could have been playing on the right instead of Bellerin during those games. But we'll look back with the benefit of hindsight and and we've just got to move forward from that now. Um, I'm interested, Kesh, to get your thoughts on this from Yo-Yo, who says you don't qualify for the top four based off of how you perform against other teams who make the top four. Arsenal have been outscored by every team ahead of them, bar Everton, who's playing less games. And I, I personally disagree with that. Because I think that whilst Arsenal are kind of expected to, and and it is important to beat the sides below you, I think that goes as a little bit of a formality for a lot of the top sides is beating those teams. And actually, it does come down to the results between the top sides where all of them stack up. I mean, you look at other, I know other leagues are different, but you look at La Liga, La Liga is typically or was prior to this season always kind of decided in how Real Madrid and Barcelona played against each other. You look at the Bundesliga and if Bayern Munich were to drop points, which we are ironically discussing a little bit off air before we came on, if they were to drop points against Dortmund and they were to remain consistent, then they would be above them and Bayern might be knocked off their perch. But in the Premier League, there's so many more teams that are competitive and so many more top, top sides that it's even more important, arguably, that when you come up against those sides that make up the top four, six, eight now, that you get the results against those teams and the other and then by doing that arguably the the form and the momentum that gives you carries you through the results against some of the smaller sides in the league so i'm interested cash to get your thoughts on that um listen at the end of the day i know we are arsenal we're a big club but that doesn't give us that divine right to say that we're going to always finish top four and the lesser teams will never improve what we see mm-hmm. now is the lesser teams have up the ante now, they're willing to recruit better, spend more money, which has closed the gap a bit. So when you see Arsenal playing against these lesser teams, we have to make sure that we're on our game. It's not like a few years ago, like seven, eight years ago, where you can not come out of second gear and you end up winning the game. They push you so much that sometimes you have to step it up. You have to go to like that third gear and get the job done. Which, when you saw for the first 30 minutes, that's what West Ham done. We have to then go and step it up because we saw that we're in a game now. So, Arsenal just need to find the consistency to always play at their best of ability. Mm. And ironically, it will come back to that point again of the biggest and the best way to raise that floor is to to buy better players. (laughs) I know I wanted to avoid that as much. Yeah, go on. 
people, I think a lot of people kind of underestimate what better players can do for you. I know we're saying, yes, these are the players you've got now. And yes, you could say maybe you should be getting more of them, but it's not working. Um, you'll see like when teams play the lesser teams in FA Cup and things like that. You look at that player, you think, he's actually decent. Like, he can actually play up a, a, level, a level up. But the thing is, those players just because they showed you that one game that they can look special, when they do step up to the Premier League, they get found out because they can't provide that consistency all the time. And that's what I feel we've got with some of the players in this team. They're not good enough to keep that consistency going for 38 games. I think that, like, and, and I think you're right in the sense that players have impacts. It happens through the transfer market. It also happens with players who come back from injury. And I think that, obviously, you look at Man United and go, wow, how big of an impact has Bruno Fernandes made since he's come into that team? Yeah, it's been huge. It's been massive. But it can be done on even the smallest of things. I mean... I put a lot of like what happened in the first half of the season and a lack of a star and a lack of like creation, which we didn't have a natural number 10 available to us. Mesut Ozil wasn't in the squad and the chaos that went out, we don't need to go into it. But Emil Smith-Rowe had got an injury at the start of the season. And bearing in mind, Emil Smith-Rowe is an incredibly young player that's barely yeah. played any Premier League football at all. It's not like he's a, he was a, ever going to be a shoe-in to be our kind of starter in the team. Had he been gradually earning that respect to, to get a chance? Yes, and, it, and he did by playing the under-23s after coming back from injury and then into Europe and then into playing coming off the bench, I think it was against Everton. And then at that point, Arteta felt against Chelsea, he had the amount of trust in him to then bring him in, not play Joe Willock, who he tried at the number 10 row and actually play Smith row against Chelsea. And all it took was for us to have a 10 and a creative central player naturally in Arteta's system and it clicked. Can I elaborate on that? Yeah, go on, mate. Go on. Um, yeah, all right. I know when you have these arguments, a lot of people say, yeah, you're 10th. And it kind of annoys me because they're not actually breaking it down and listening at the reasons why we are 10th. Because the reason why we're 10th is the lack of preparation going into the season. Mm. Whatever, for whatever the reasons were, the club and the managers agreed that they're going to freeze, those right, freeze them out of the squad. So therefore, you're going into a team with without your number 10. So when you play games, you're not going to have that much control. You saw when we were playing earlier before we played Chelsea, we never had that much possession over the ball. The more possession you have, the more control you've got of the game, the less of the opponent can hurt you. And that's where we failed. If we had a number 10 from the start of the season, we would have had probably, say, nine points more. If you add those nine points to the, team, to the table now, it makes a very big difference. And that's where we failed and become unstuck. It's interesting that Mr. A in the chat, I do want to address this point, he says, you raise your ceiling by buying better players and you raise your floor with better coaching. Um, I think you got it the wrong way around. Um, I think that the floor is raised, but the ultimate quality of the players you've got in your team. If you've got, play if you've got players like Louise and Xhaka and Bellerin in your team that are riddled with their errors throughout their career, it doesn't matter how good you are as a coach. It doesn't matter how, and Mustafi, and like, it doesn't matter how, amazing you can turn these players and he arguably Arteta improved Mustafi at the end of the last season to the point where people were a bit worried when he got injured in the semi-final of the FA Cup and we were worried about Rob Holding coming in he got to that level I coaching can't stop silly mistakes of players that are just peppered with persistent errors that you can't do that it, it, it just doesn't work that way some players are just flawed in those errors in some way and you improve 
the floor. Yes, there is a small element of, or there is a fair sizable element of coaching to it. But for me, there is a much bigger element of bringing in and upgrading upon the players that you already have. Manchester United's floor was brought up by having a consistent performer in Bruno Fernandes brought in. It was addressed also with the defensive additions that they made. Yes, we can laugh at Harry Maguire, but actually at times he has been very decent for them and he has improved their defence over the likes of Marcus Rojo or Phil Jones. He has improved in that area over what they had. So... It's a case of, and Luke Shaw, like a player that's been made better, argued by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I hate, I don't want to give a load of credit to another team, but he has been made better, Luke Shaw, and has looked one, arguably alongside Fernandez this season, their best player. You then added the defensive capability of Aaron Wan-Bissaka to the right-hand side over what they were using previously. And again, you started to shore things up. Uh, it is about raising the floor. It's about improving what you've got. And ultimately, coaching for me is about getting the best from what you have. And I think that Arteta has got the best from quite a few players this season. What he's done to Smithrow, to Saka, to Gabriel from coming in, even getting the best from Louise this season towards the second half of the season. Tierney has been improved by him too. And I think that whilst other players like Aubameyang and maybe Lacazette have been poor, when you analyse their performances, the reasons they've been poor is not down to coaching. It's that when they've been given a chance and an opportunity, they've missed them. They have missed mm-hmm. chances. That's not down to coaching. That's how. That's the composure that you have. That's the ability to take a chance and just and score it. It's not down mm-hmm. to being coached. They're getting into the positions and we're creating the chances for them. That's the system. They then need to take those chances. You mean you saw Kieran Tierney screaming in the North London derby saying, how many chances are we going to create and we're not going to score any? Mm-hmm. That is what I'm seeing. Adam, I want to bring you on this and then we're going to go to Jess and then we're going to go to uh, user questions. So chat box, if you do have a pressing question for the guys, please make sure you throw it into the chat box with a capital Q so it helps it stand out. In terms of Adam, then we go into this game against Liverpool, which is really weird because <laughs> Liverpool have had a, a utterly ridiculous season like us. They've been affected much more heavily, of course, by injuries. Um and they're a really hard team to kind of analyse. We're playing them at home, and then when we played them away on the season was when we were very, very poor. We still looked a combative side at Anfield and looked like we could if we had taken the chances that we created, which has been a bit of a theme of this season, could have got a better result from there. So how do you think with what's available to him, with a pretty much a fully fit squad now, what does Arteta need to do going into this game for you that's maybe different to what we've seen? And what encouragement have you seen over the last few weeks that makes you think maybe we can get something from that game? Hmm. That is a really difficult question. I, 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 the answer is I don't, I don't know. Um, he could go back to the, the three at the back or the five at the back, whichever way you look at it. Um, because I think we did create some good chances in that. Um, if it weren't for Lacazette spurning two I think it was in that game we may well have won it so so that's an option um but I can't I can't remember who is fit for Liverpool again but I think Fabinho is now moved back into central midfield um and I, I wonder whether Odegaard will be able to really have the impact on the game that we'd like him to with Fabinho at the base of that midfield I I I think it will be a different test for him. And considering he's still in the early stages of his Premier League career, I think it might just be a bit too much. Liverpool have more quality in their squad than we do. So so re- really, 
this is just an elongated way of me saying I I don't know. Um, Hopefully we could uh, ask you one of the questions a little bit later on and that you've yeah. got more of a clue uh, to answer. But no, it's fair enough, mate. I completely get it. Jess, I know you wanted to come in on, on one of those two points, so go for gold. Yeah, just, you know, on the, you know, our, the floor and the ceiling and all that mm. kind of stuff, I just wanted to say just really quickly that Arteta is figuring out who can be coached and who needs to be replaced right now. I think he's playing the exact system that he wants to play right now. And regardless to if the players are good at it or not, that's why we play out of the back the way that we do. And we're starting to see that certain players can't do that consistently and at a high level in Arteta system. He requires high football IQ, positional awareness, you know, you need to be disciplined. And we have certain players that can't do that consistently and that's where the individual mistakes are coming. The bonehead mistakes are coming from. So I'm, I'm not really that worried that Arteta is not making little notes in his notebook about like, this guy's got to go. This guy can be coached up. Let's just kind of see what this guy can do. You know, that kind of thing. Like there's certain players that are just not going to make it. But the reality is, is that Arsenal can't turn over a squad as quickly as maybe a Man City or a Manchester United because of funds. So he has to try to use what he has right now, but make no mistake he's he's caught crossing some people out right now that are not going to be able to 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 sustain and do this consistently because the type of football that he wants to play requires a lot and there's some players in this team that just they're not going to cut it you know so that was basically my little point on that no no it's fine I love, I love this analogy around the ceilings and the floor and i think it's going to come up in the question section as well so we will return to it um Let's go in reverse order. Um, so starting with you, Adam, hopefully uh, we have better luck answering this question. Um, so Yo-Yo says, Arteta said repeatedly that he didn't want the team to rely on Aubameyang pre and post his extension. Which players has he entrusted to lessen the weight on our captain? Um, I think Tierney, Saka, Xhaka. Those are the three that jump out at me sort of immediately. I think the way Odegaard is playing, I think he's working himself into contention in that as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think in any a sport or even even in anything in life really where you, you have a team, the, the leader needs to have his lieutenants or her lieutenants. And I think, um, as I said earlier, Arteta can have his ideas, but what happens... Crossing the line, he needs players on the pitch that are going to stand up, be counted, and instill those ideas on the pitch. And I, I would, I would argue it's Saka who probably, uh, yeah, leads by example. Tierney who leads by example and shouts a lot. Xhaka who, God bless him, wants to lead by example but can't really, so he shouts a lot as well. And um, Odegaard who's just got bags of quality, so he he just does what he needs to do anyway. Fair enough. Kesh, uh, Alex McCarthy says, why are Arsenal uh, content with managers and players settling for FA Cups and Europa Leagues every single season? Our league standings are dipping year on year. Top four should always be the target. Um, I think that comes down to ownership, in my personal opinion, because if you look at other clubs and the way they're run, the clubs that are successful, they're like, a lot of Arsenal fans, when you say the manager went back, they kind of take it out of context. But in reality, it's not the manager that should be back, it's the club. Because long before that manager's here, Arsenal was there. Long after that manager's gone, Arsenal will still be here. 
you've got to keep recycling through every transfer window. Because what you find yourself with now is you find yourself having to do a very difficult rebuild, and that's from years of just neglecting the squad. Um, it's standards, really, standards, and that's why we settle. Do you think that? Because I think that a lot of Arsenal fans, I just want to press you on this point. I think a lot of Arsenal fans kind of see what we were with a team that was obviously winning titles and, and challenging mm-hmm. for the title, and sees where we are now. And it's really hard to because do you think it's an element of pride? Do you think it's an element of there being my Arsenal or a team that yep. won titles? And maybe it's a lack of looking at the context and going, look, when you've got sides like Man City and Man United and Chelsea that can spend all they want, and when they do spend, they spend it well. And if they don't spend it well, it's fine because they can just chuck another 50 million at a player next season. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes gets lost in that kind of measure? It, it is. And um, we as fans need to actually. Take our tinted glasses off. Take our Arsenal glasses off. I know it hurts us to say we're not at the best that we was before. But once you do that, I think you will actually acknowledge and accept where we are. And I'm not saying accept that we, we're going to be a club that's going to struggle for a few years before we get back to the top. But it makes it a lot easier for yourself to actually understand where the club is at. Jess, uh, Egal says, how many players do you think it will take to rebuild Arsenal? When we're talking about rebuild, are we talking about winning the league, qualifying for top four, top okay. six, what? Well, we're let's, talking let's about break rebuild. it down. So how many players do you think it's going to take for Arsenal to achieve their initial goal, which is to get back into the top four? And then how many do you think it is to go to the next step, which is challenge for a title? Well, I think in order to get into the top four, we probably need the right back, a better right-sided center back, another center midfielder, um, next to Thomas Party, uh, probably. Um, don't kill me, Jaka people, but probably. <laughs> um, Odegar or some sort of player like it, and a clinical striker that has the build-up play of Lacazette. So, what is that? Four, four five. players, four or five players. <laughs> yeah. um, that being said, that there are margins that you can play with based on coaching, you know, things like that. If Arteta can coach up some of these players and maybe we get three players and he can coach some up and get some favorable results and other teams don't do as well, we can still make it. But if everybody's improving the way that they're improving and they're, you know, they're consistent and we need to be consistent as well, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot, you know, we're Mm. other teams are going to improve as well. We have to think about that. Mm. It's not just about making up the margins. Now it's the margins of next season. You know, these other teams have like ownership that are going to spend the money, you know, so I think it's it's going to be difficult. But I say the the bare minimum is three, you know, top quality. You know, I I believe quality is better than quantity. So if Mm -hmm. we can only get three top quality players or or two, that that's better to me than like five mediocre players or whatever. But um, it's going to take a lot, you know, but top six, I think, is achievable next season with maybe like Odegaard and you know, a right back and, you know, maybe a striker. I don't know, you know, but also it's just, is it really about buying players? Like sometimes it's just the mentality, consistency in the system, starting the, you know, starting the season with a good preseason, you know, time, you know, so it could just be a a combination of all those things, but rebuild for top four is at least three or three to five players to me. Mm. I think you're right. I mean, you, you, I was counting them up as you were going through them, and I, I agree with with right back, centre midfield, attacking midfield, striker. Um, 
the right centre-back hopefully can be taken up by maybe Saliba coming back from loan after an impressive display or even, you never know, Mavropanos comes back and is, is brilliant too. But that's that's to be like a challenge to achieve our target and challenge for top four. We're talking about four players that not only just four players, four players that upgrade upon what we've got. And that's tough. Like no matter how much people want to criticise Granite Xhaka, to find a midfielder that's going to upgrade upon Granite Xhaka is going to cost you serious money. And I think that's a credit to Granite Xhaka. To find a right back that's better than what we got is, is also going to cost us money. To find a striker that's going to support Aubameyang in the, in the short term and eventually take him over in the long term, one that's solid enough to do that is going to cost a lot of money. And then that's just those guys. And actually, when we think about it, if we lose Tierney or Bernd Leno during mm-hmm. a season... I don't think we get top four. So then you have to think, well, we need to buy a backup left back and we need yeah. to be a, find a backup goalkeeper that's better than Runnison. So in real in, in realistic terms, we could even be looking at four, five, six. And in some cases, if Saliba isn't the guy to come in at right centre-back or Mavropanos, you're looking at seven players. Is it realistic that Arsenal are going to add seven players in all of those positions in the summer? Probably not, most likely. Is it realistic that Chelsea can do it? Yeah, they did it last summer. Like that's And that's the difference between us and them right now and the kind of the the realism of, of what it's about which can, is really I, can i just come in really quick just you know you're saying like okay chelsea bought the seven players but it also took them getting a coach that knew what they were doing to make those seven players work it's not just about so what doesn't know what he's doing it's not what you say <laughs> all i'm saying is that it, it takes more than just buying players i mean you could bring in three players and if arteta can get them in the right system mm. and you know make make the margins more fine by just coaching more and getting them in the right system, maybe not making as many mistakes. If that's what we view that he's done, then, you know, it could be better. You know, I I don't really think it's just about buying a bunch of players. I think there are other ways, like we said, with coaching and, you know, the system and stuff that could really help us out. I mean, there's teams that are above us that don't necessarily, they bought what two players and they're where they are. You know, that's, that's Aston Villa, that's West Ham, that's, you know, even Everton about like what, three or four players. So yeah, I I think, I know people are like three players is not enough, but I just think the way that we're playing and and the things that Arteta is doing could get us closer than we think, you know, but we do need investment. So I think it's a combination. That's all I'm saying. It is a combination. There's lots of factors that that come into it. Uh, Mr. A says, Tom, what would you say Everton's ceiling and floor is? Going back to that analogy, I think that Everton's floor is higher than ours. I think they did that through the players that they brought in this season. But I think their ceiling is lower. But the thing is, I think that they've, they've hit their ceiling more consistently this season. That's why you've seen them get to where they are and ahead of us. Arsenal's ceiling, in my view, is higher than what Everton have got. But we haven't hit it. That often. Um, but when we have, in my view, it's been better than what I've seen from Everton at the top of their game and what we've shown at the top of their game. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. Um, going back through, uh, we'll probably get uh, two more times, I reckon, if we get enough questions coming in. Keep answering your questions in the chat box, people. Um, okay. <laughs> Vinny says, Adam, would you sacrifice Saliba to Real mm. Madrid if it meant that you could get away with an Erdogan deal? I saw that question. I was hoping that you actually wouldn't come to me. Um, <laughs> I, I would. I would. Um, and the reason I would do it is because we have uh, Mavropanos, who I, I hear and I believe has been putting in some really, really solid performances. Um, so I would do it, but I think 
judging by what Arteta seems to like in his defenders, uh, I believe Mavropanos, I guess in comparison to Saliba, probably has a, a little less technical quality. So if he doesn't think Saliba is ready, then I don't know if he's going to think Mavropanos is ready. So I don't think Arteta will do it, even though I probably would. But I do believe that Arteta will do whatever he can to get the Odegaard deal over the line uh, as long as he, or within reason. Kesh, uh, Manu says, uh, who would you replace, this kind of follows on what we were talking about, who would you replace Xhaka with for the rest of the season if he was to get injured and if you get sold in the summer? I got comfortable. I think, I think you'd have to either kind of shift the likes of Odegaard into your centre mid role, personally, and then mm. ESR can go to number 10. That's what I would do. Yeah, weirdly, like it's it could be a system where you play kind of part at the deepest part of the midfield, and then Emil Smith was kind of pivot eights. I I have a lot of questions about that, and I've questioned if that's feasible with how progressive Partey likes to be. But it's an option, um, and maybe something if you put kind of a more reserved left-sided player in. Um, then you can do that with the cover that it would give you. But it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an option. Um, that was quite a quick question, Kesh. So I will try and quickly find you another one that you can uh, express yourself a little bit more on. Let's go to scrolling down. So many people commented on that blooming ceiling and floor. <laughs> uh, Matt G says, Kesh, uh, in the summer, will Arteta look for players who will improve on the positions that we have? Or do you think he'll look for players that get us specifically into the top four? I don't I know think how would, <laughs> yeah, I think I think you would have a few candidates in certain positions that you want who kind of suits the profile of what you want, like in terms of a a deep line playmaker, for instance, who can receive the ball comfortably and you know can relieve the pressure, press resistance, if you may say, and just people that can fit in the system and play regularly. Because I don't feel that. The players that you've got right now fit the system, and I think that's why we see a lot of flaws when we play that lead to mistakes. Question specifically uh, targeting Jess, so you might be in trouble here, Jeff. Um, Arjit says uh, for Jess, is left back as big or bigger uh, as a priority than right back? Even if Hector leaves, Chambers and Cedric can fill in at right back, but we don't have any natural cover at left back. Yes, left back cover is more important to me than right back because of exactly what you're saying. Um, without Tierney, we are nothing. <laughs> that's, that's really how I feel. Like, I just think that he adds so much. He's one of our most creative players. Um, you look at his numbers, we're very different without him, and we need to protect him. The only way you can protect your investment is to make sure that, you know, you can rest him and give him the right type of treatment. And it's just not right for him to be, you know, in a position where he he has no, like, rest. Like, he has no ability to take a day off and we're playing him into the ground. But Cedric does a good job. But as we said, it changes the entire system when you put a right back you know, in the left back position, then you have to switch everything up and the balance is off. So yes, we need left back cover, but it can't just be anybody, you know, because there's no point in getting left back cover if the the level drops so low that you might as well put Cedric there anyway. So if I had to choose between left back and right back, I would choose left back cover, but quality left back cover. And just if Bellerin leaves, play Chambers and Cedric. I said it. 
I, I, I would just take that. Can I just say something? Now? I was saying exactly the same thing yesterday. Us having to play team so much is human and decency. Honestly, the guy doesn't get a rest. It's not good for his health at all in the long run. And we don't need to get to a position where we're going to have a person who's just injury prone, where he's always in the medical room. We need to actually look after him. I agree with you. I've just put into the um, chat box. It's funny that people ask about that because I, I literally wrote a piece on this yesterday um, about five left backs that Arsenal could sign. Um, so give that a read. I'll put it in the chat box uh, if you want. There's some interesting choices, two from the Prem and three from Europe. I tried to look down different routes of experienced options like Van Arnholt and, and Bertrand, but also the other route, which is going for younger and, and someone that could come in and maybe be an understudy to Tierney. Uh, but be good enough to to maybe replace him in the long run. So give that a read. Um, Akene, I love I love how direct Akene is of his questioning. I want to repeat my question again. Hope Tom will finally read it. <laughs> Adam, can you still argue that Abamyang is a good footballer rather than a good goal scorer? Okay, so your question, Akene, that you asked uh, earlier today, I can't remember the context in which we first had that conversation. Um, but I can assume I probably said something like Aubameyang isn't as bad as people make out. He's not just a goal scorer. <laughs> it would seem as though I was wrong. It, I'll hold my hands up. It looks like I was wrong. Fine, you got me. Sorry. Um, but I do I do believe genuinely that Aubameyang used to, at one point, have, have more to his game. Uh, and I think he's just become a goal scorer in, in recent times. Um I think it's unfortunate we wouldn't be talking about it had he been banging in the goals like he was last season. We wouldn't even be complaining. Uh, but because that aspect of his game is sort of dried up a little bit, we're kind of scrutinising him that little bit more. And it, we're, we're looking to say, OK, well, if you're not get, giving us goals, then what the hell are you giving us? So, so yeah, I, I can admit, no, I probably still can't argue that Aubameyang is uh, a holistic footballer. I'm not going to say he's not a good footballer because I'm pretty sure he put you and me to shame. <laughs> no, fair play fair play for you to turn it around and, and saying you're wrong it's what we we champion that mentality adam so fair play mate um james hoyt says should Eintracht frankfurt's uh andre silver be a top priority as a class striker that could get on the end of the good balls from erdogan and tierney it would cost about 40 million or more now i text drew about this the other day our, our good friend drew um that loves bundesliga and his words were no shut up um so <laughs> i asked him about this even though i'm very much a fan of Andre Silva um, but uh, but yeah no Drew pretty much in the sense of not that he's not a good player but in the sense that Frankfurt are never going to let him go for a significant fee probably even higher than that they just signed him up from I think it was it might have been AC or Milan or Sevilla yeah Milan or Sevilla um well, he's on loan at Sevilla from Milan. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but he's a good player and he's doing very well in the Bundesliga this season. He's got a serious amount of goals. In fact, he might even be one of the top three, I think, top goal scorers in the league at the moment behind Lewandowski and probably, you know, who the other way is. Um, so, he, he, I, I like the profile of him. He's someone I think that's been well traveled, played in Spain, Portugal, Italy. Um, and now in Germany, and looks like the only one to tick off the list which he hasn't played in, along with the French league, is is obviously the Premier League. He's 27, I think he's a, a player that could come in and do well, but I think it's unrealistic. I also think, interesting, you the word priority there, because I actually think that I agree with what Jess was saying earlier, that striker is something that we need to look at, but in terms of a priority, I'm looking at more... 
I mean, left back cover ironically comes up now. Uh, right back, um, the, the midfield partner for Thomas Partey, and making sure we either sign Odegaard or getting someone of equivalent, equivalent sorry, quality in that role. Um, but my striker choice is is still Yusuf Nasiri from Sevilla. So that's that's the one I want, but I doubt it'll be the one we get. Uh, there was a question uh, specific that was for Jess that I'll try and find. Uh, while I find it, uh, question from Jake, who says, is recruiting for a winger position being overlooked? Abamyang, Pepe, Saka, Martinelli, Emil Smith-Rowe, is that enough? I think he answers his own question, but go on, tackle that one. I do think it's been overlooked, but I don't think it's a priority. Um, in terms of the system, you can see that Arteta doesn't want a out-and-out winner. He wants a like a fourth winger slash number ten. He's going to come in and leave that space vacated for Kenny to score rampant and do what he does best. Question then for Jess from the assembled uh, says: Jess, Do you believe that Arsenal have the right system for these players? If we lack investment for top players, we need to use our strengths, i.e., the youngsters who are developed in the Arsenal way. Yeah, I think so. Um, the way that we played in those last forty-five minutes of of yesterday's game solidified that for me. This is the right system that we should be playing. It, it works for us, especially because we've added the midfield pieces that we've needed in order to, to pass through the lines. Uh, Thomas does that perfectly. He, I think he got the ball to, to Odegaard like 20 times, you know, like we have the right players. We may be missing four or five pieces that would be better quality than what we have, but with more consistency, this team can play this system and be good at it. It's about, we need clinical finishing. We need to finish off our chances Stop, you know, making bad decisions and starting games off slow. If we don't do those things, this system is, it, there's nothing wrong with the system. It's just the lack of consistency and the bonehead errors. So I like the system. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back to three to the back and, and play with the three, four, three, just, ugh. I, I wouldn't go back to that. I wouldn't, you know, this is the system that these players need to be playing and like we have Odegaard, Thomas, Saka, ESR. These these players are perfect for this. Tierney, they're perfect for this type of system. So I wouldn't change it. I love it. Fair enough. Um, let's go to one more round for everyone, and then we'll go to predictions for all the way after the Blooming International break. Um, Adam, this is a really interesting question um so have fun uh matt says if we need five players to get where we want to be wouldn't it be better value to just sack arteta and put all of our money into getting a top quality manager who might get more from the players that we currently have right matthew um when he was a member so respect (laughs) (laughs) when when um pep guardiola so, uh, became Manchester City manager. He, I'm sure you would agree, is a, a top quality manager. Um, he signed five players, more than, in fact. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has signed more than five players since he's been at Liverpool. So I, I think this uh, idea that top players or top managers, sorry, don't ever need to sign players is, is a bit of a nonsense, sir. So yeah, I think we could sack Arteta, we could get another manager, and he might do better. But that doesn't mean that, um, you know, managers don't need to sign players, or that Arteta wouldn't do well if he had better players. Or I, I, I'm not I'm not quite sure why you would you would think that. But, you know, each to their own, man. 
Just to just to clarify as well in regards to how much it's actually cost us to, to get rid of coaches from Wenger to Emery to Arteta has cost us in total of thirty one million pounds. Um, so it's it's a lot more than people think uh, to actually just get rid of, of players. And I think that's thirty one million quid in the future. And obviously, it, it takes different change of managers, but we can spend that money on players. I think rather than sacking coaches. Um, Last couple of questions. There was where's it gone? Uh, Sonny telling you straight in the chat. Uh, Kesh says, What is the Arsenal way? Surely, the Arsenal way is something that we now need to reinvent. What do you think about that? I totally agree with that. I totally agree. We need to find we need to invest in a certain idea and pass it, pass it through from the kids all the way up because. When you look at the academy now, we're starting to get some very good players coming through. But is there actually a pathway for them? And I feel that's what the club, that's the route that the club is trying to go down. Maybe it's not clear as of yet, but I do feel over the next coming years, you will see a lot of more youth players coming through. And that will just be the way for Arsenal moving forward. Final question then uh, for Jess. Let's go to... I'm going to try and be really kind. Please. To whoever's not, not to you, just someone no. who's not asked a question yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay. This is quite funny. Uh, Matt Alexander says, what do we do if we lose to Emery in the semi-finals? We all need answers if this happens. <laughs> oh, God. Um... What do you think, Jess? What do we do? I mean, uh, what is there to do? But just, I don't know, cry? What do you, what do you actually make of that whole thing? Because it's something that's come up a lot. And I, I actually get a feeling that there are a, a portion of supporters that would actually like to see Emery beat Arteta. I mean, yeah, I'm not even if, joking. If you do want to see that, reevaluate. That's just, no, we shouldn't ever want to lose for any reason, even if you don't like the manager. But, um, you know, Emery, if we do come up against him in the semifinals, we know that he's really, this is his competition. He'll know what to do. And then he has the, you know, also the inside track on on some of these Arsenal players. So he'll know some of our weaknesses, but we're a lot different than when he used to coach the team. Mm -hmm. So we have that. And, you know, I would take Arteta over Emery um, as a coach and in a, a two legs, over two legs. So, you know, I'm not too worried about it. If it does happen, then you know, good for him. Like you, you got one over on us, but I, I actually would be more concerned about what I, how I would feel if we lost to like United in the final than Unai Emery. I think it's kind of like a stale narrative or storyline. It is what it is. He used to coach us. So what, you know, you heard it here first. Uh, Jess believes that Arteta is the better coach than the Europa League king. So uh, when that happens in the semis, we know who's going to be coming on the podcast that week. So uh, that's going to be fun. Um, we finished the show, of course, as always, um, by looking ahead to the next game, which I know you have to get your binoculars out to look this far in the future to see when our next game is. But it is, of course, after the international break. And playing against Liverpool, a really, really tough fixture. I'm going to go around my guests whilst they are getting in their predictions in the chat box. Please let me know what are you feeling about the game against Liverpool? What scoreline do you think it's going to be and, and who is ultimately going to score? Let's go back. Let's switch this round one more time. We're going to Jess first. I'm going to be mean and let you go first. What do you think, Liverpool? Don't hate me, you guys. I think we're going to tie 1-1. One, one. Scorers? Um, Aubameyang and Jada. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> You're not a betting person, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Just picking the random ones on the I screen. Just... <laughs> no. <laughs> Cash. 
Um, I do think it's going to be a draw as well, but I'm going to go a bit further and go 2-2. I believe Odegaard will get a goal in that game and the likes of Saka. Nice. Adam? Um, I think we're going to lose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. Get a your own goal based on what you said okay, earlier. No, no. I'm le- <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. I can do one better. I think we're going to draw. Three three. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, 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 You've got to pick six scorers now. So go on. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. No, honestly, I think I think we'll probably lose it two two one. Um, as I said before, I think and yeah, I, I think we'll probably end up making a high profile mistake mistake or something like that. <laughs> well I think we're gonna win. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm gonna go with two 0 to the Arsenal with uh, a Cedric Screamer as, as always. Uh and uh and yeah a Lacazette will oh, not one in that'd be great. Um let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. Let's see if you're all as negative as negative Nelly Adam is over here. <laughs> um let's go Ed who says two two a Millsmith throw and Partey is gonna get his first goal. Gunner Express also says two two Yonic, wow, our negative Nelly Yonic is even going for a 3-2 win. He's putting you to shame, Adam. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Aslan says 2-1 to the Arsenal. Um, <laughs> Yo-Yo just says, I don't want to see Arteta against Luna. Um, Thank you, Sonny. Appreciate the support, mate. Matt says, yes, come on, Arsenal. Stay positive. We can do this. 4-0 Arsenal with a Partey screamer. I mean, it's going to take an incredible amount of shots, I think, for Partey to finally hit the target. Uh, Matt G says 2-1 to the Arsenal. Partey to score with his 17th long... Uh, there's a theme appearing here in these comments. Uh, Josh <laughs> says 3-3 three, three. Um, let's go down we'll get some more uh, back to the topics says 2-0 uh, Abamyang penalty uh, Noah says 3-1 to the arse uh, Zamir says Yonic positive what uh, Wilson says my prediction is Arsenal 2 Liverpool 2 um, Zamir says 4-4 four, four. Shane Savant Shavin <laughs> fair enough spelt completely wrong unless that's intentional uh, Gianfranco says 1-0 uh, to the Arsenal Emil Smith uh, Emil Smith Rowe sorry to get the goal um, this obviously leads me now to thank my fantastic panel uh, for the evening of what has been a very fun and interesting show discussing plenty of topics first of all appreciate I was going to say I appreciate you Adam but then you kind of you ruined it at the end mate with uh, with your negativity son so explain yourself and then you can say goodbye <laughs> yeah I, 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 yeah Liverpool they're just they're good they're better than their league position says but then again so are we who knows I could be wrong I've been wrong before I'll be wrong again yeah I'm sorry. Please. No worries, mate. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, yeah, at TFO Show, which is right there, and um, on the Football Terrace. You can find me both places. You can indeed. Uh, who else you can find on the Football Terrace quite often is Kesh. And thank you. It's been an absolute fantastic debut from yourself, mate. Really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you for having me. Um, listen, the season of the league is finished, but we've got five massive finals to come up in the Europa League. Let's hope we smash it. Yeah, I could not have put it by myself. And where people can find you on the socials, mate? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. That's on the scroll, cash on the scroll. And you can also find me on the football territory. There you go. And finally, making her second fantastic appearance, it's Jess. Thank you so much. You can find her at She Knows Arsenal. And she's going to tell you where you can find her own account too. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at It's Jessinho. And like Tom already said, She Knows Arsenal. That's the show. You can put it in the YouTube search and I'll pop up, you know, and I'm doing a call-in show tomorrow. 
So you guys will be able to call in and and sit right next to me via screen and talk to me all about Arsenal. It'll be really fun. And then same old Arsenal, Craig and, and the boys will be on on Wednesday. So subscribe so you don't miss anything. And thank you so much, Tom. This was like a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure as always. Obviously, if you've enjoyed the show, guys, in the chat, and I've seen a lot of you leaving some really kind comments for the guys. Um, so we really do appreciate all the support and love as always. Make sure you go and follow them and you can follow up those nice comments and you can follow us at the Goonsort TV and at Tom Canton Media. Um, there's some interesting articles that went out today uh, from myself on 101. We did one about FIFA, um, the game, not the, the conglomeration, uh, talking about how people have kind of been affected by debt and buying a lot of FIFA points and people spending upwards of £7,000 and getting into lots of debt about that um, and kind of the impact of whether it can be considered gambling or not. So there's some really good content about that. There's hopefully a really, really good interview coming up on this channel uh, that kind of links my love of drum and bass and Arsenal together. So I'm really excited for that. There's going to be some interesting shows coming up in the weeks around the international break. Tomorrow we've got um, the Let's Talk Arsenal show, I believe, on with Johnny. And then next week, I'm going to be on with Lee Judges. And then we've got a quiz at the weekend as well to fill the gap. I say quiz. We don't really know what it's going to be, but it's going to involve probably Mike, Andy, and Owen, which basically means it's going to go to utter shite. <laughs> so just tune in on Sunday, 8.30 and uh, p.m. UK time, that is. And uh, hopefully you have an enjoyable Sunday evening without any arsenal, I'm afraid. But, uh, you know, there's always international football to enjoy. Yay. Um, but we'll see you again very very soon if you enjoyed the show drop a like subscribe to the channel and follow these guys on the socials we'll see you again very very soon it's been a pleasure to speak to you as always and as always up the arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around and you've got a mcnugget share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfection Order now on the McDonald's app for your Mook delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.